Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is the word of the Lord. Have you not been blessed by the music this morning? It's been beautiful. Now, I'm going to adjust this because Blake and Keith and I are all above six feet. And uh, it looked like an optical illusion. You looked like you were 6'9 up here, Blake. Doug, you looked 7'4". What incredible music this morning. And what I love is that the song that was just sung was sung from the perspective of Mary. And right after I speak, you will hear a beautiful song that's from the perspective of Joseph. And I want to focus on that since we're focusing on Joseph during our time together with Advent. And I want you to notice some of the words. After I preach this morning, I hope that you will really follow the lyrics to this wonderful song entitled, The Hands That First Held Mary's child. And again, it's from Joseph's perspective, but I want you to look at these lyrics that you find within it. This child will be Emmanuel, not God upon a throne, but God with us, Emmanuel, as close as blood and bone. As close as blood and bone. Close to us as blood and bone. How much closer could God have come to us? You know, there's some 365 names of God that you find in the Word of God, and we know many of those names, but there are a few that are more precious than this one that speaks to the incarnation of God coming so close as blood and bone, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the God who is with us, and I thought I would just list a few of these Emmanuel realities that we have. He's the eternal God who confined himself to our time. He's also the omnipresent God who is with us through all things. He's the all-knowing God who is with us in our ignorance. He's the all-powerful God who is with us in our weakness. And he's the self-emptying God who emptied himself for us. That last one so significant, the kenosis passage that you find in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, which is so powerful. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He could have clung to his divinity. As the New Revised Standard says, he could have exploited his divinity and not emptied of himself on our behalf, but he did just that, giving up his divine privileges for you and for me. And think about that. Out of obedience to his father's mission, he became utterly vulnerable to all the forces that you and I face in this world, all the pain, all the suffering. And I came across a story which captures this in a beautiful fashion just recently, a fellow named Paul Williams, who's a writer, reflected on why he still remembers one particular event in Christmas of 1981. 
And it all starts, this may be a familiar story to some of you, starts with one of his sons who had strep throat. It goes this way, the dull eyes tipped me off before he could open his mouth. Jonathan had strep throat. It seemed the children in our family picked up strep two or three times a year, and someone always had it during the holidays. Jonathan had been excited about the nursery school Christmas play for a couple of weeks. He would be Joseph. Mary would be played by a Jewish girl from down the block. Yes, her parents had given permission for her to be in the Christmas pageant. With neck glands swollen and his voice a nasally whine, Jonathan begged to go to the festivities. Against our better judgment, we acquiesced. Bundling our son in his warmest coat, we drove the five short miles to the Central Church of Christ. By the time all the parents had squeezed into the small auditorium, Jonathan was as white as the pillowcase he was wearing as a head covering. He looked fragile and diminutive. Kathy and I sat on the front row. Jonathan came down the aisle hand in hand with Mary, and the two sat down on the second step below the manger, recently retrieved from its usual home in the boiler room. Jonathan was looking paler still, all the light out of his big blue eyes. He looked at us and managed a weak smile. As soon as the play was over, we hauled Jonathan off to the doctor's office. Since our family doctor was a friend, we sneaked in and out in no time. Filled with penicillin, our son was feeling better the next morning. I do not remember much about the rest of that Christmas season, though I'm sure it was utterly delightful, as all Christmas celebrations are. I have often pondered why that is my only remembrance of that Christmas Of all Christmas experiences, of all the memories of all of our family Christmases, what makes that one event stand out? I know the reason. Christmas is truly about frail vulnerability, freely chosen. Let me say that again. Christmas is truly about frail vulnerability, freely chosen. With heart in throat, God watched his infant son cry and squirm in the cold manger where there was no penicillin. I know how I felt watching my son with his head resting in those small hands, wanting to be brave, but weak and unsteady. I can only imagine what my heavenly father thought, seeing his infant son in the hands of a common earthly father. Think about that. The Son of God made himself that vulnerable to us, for us. Which brings us to Joseph. It's amazing that Jesus was so obedient to his calling, to his mission, and I would propose that Jesus' earthly father contributed to that obedience. We see in, in Joseph this immediate obedience. It's remarkably simple, yet Simply remarkable. I can only imagine what the Heavenly Father thought when he selected Joseph. Think about that. Marvel at how obedient Jesus was all the way to the cross. There's no doubt in my mind there's a reason why God chose Joseph because he exemplified that obedience to Jesus. Yes, his earthly father exemplified that radical, immediate obedience and Jesus saw it. And modeled it himself. You know, the apple, they say, doesn't fall too far from the tree. 
And think about this, when Jesus started his mission on earth, that three-year ministry, what did he call God? Did he call him sovereign? Did he call him king? Did he call him leader? Did he call him brother? Didn't call him creator? Didn't call him emperor? Not another of those 365 names for God, except one. And what was it? Abba? Abba, which means what? Daddy? Papa? In all Jewish literature, no one else had ever called God Abba, Papa, Daddy. And why is that? I think Jesus saw Joseph model what it meant to be a good dad. Such a wonderful example he was that Jesus was able to take that term, Abba, that he used for his earthly father, and he moved it upward and affixed it to how he would speak to his heavenly father. Jesus used that word even as he hung on a cross, didn't he? Abba, forgive them. They know not what they do. And I think about the words of the song you're going to hear in, in just a moment where it says the tools which Joseph laid aside a mob would later lift and use with anger, fear, and pride to crucify God's gift. There's a painting that exhibits this in a powerful fashion that you find in the Louvre. It's by Georges de la Tour, and it's called Joseph the Carpenter. It's one of my favorite paintings, and I hope you can see it there, okay? You have uh, Jesus sitting there with a candle, and it's so fascinating the way de la Tour uses light in, in this painting. It looks so real. But you see Joseph, excuse me, you see Jesus with this candle, and, and he's holding his hand close to the candle, and you see his hand is almost translucent there. It's just amazing how he did that. And then you see Joseph, the father, looking all sturdy and all, and he's leaning over, drilling down on a block of wood with an auger. And what does that auger appear to look like? What De La Torre said later after he painted it was that that auger that's drilling into that block of wood prefigures the crucifixion. Powerful, powerful picture. And it's Jesus who saw that simple, immediate obedience in his earthly father, Joseph. And he took that remarkable obedience upon himself, that obedience even to the cross. Which leads me to a simple question today. What is your struggle today? If you could pinpoint your one struggle in your life. Or perhaps it's your one frustration, your one stress, your one uncertainty, your one fear. Might you in simple obedience give that over to the God who can and will indeed work it for good. Bring you that relief, bring you that new chapter. Just as Joseph did in such simple obedience. Let me go back to the words of the song you're about to hear. It said, this child will be Emmanuel, not God upon a throne, but God with us, Emmanuel, as close as blood and bone. How much closer could he have come to us? Well, the amazing thing is he did. And we've talked about it a lot this year when he sent the Holy Spirit who resides in his people, in his followers. That's even closer than blood, and bone. 
and it's eternal. That's what's so amazing. It's with the Spirit's presence within us. It's not only closer than blood and bone, flesh and blood. It's eternal. It carries us to the next life. So the question for you this morning is, is he that close to you? And if not, this is your opportunity to become closer to him, maybe even for the first time. Listen to the words of this song that you might be brought closer to him during our Advent season. <laughs> 